Hey, it's Chris. And Kylie. We're just a couple of jerks who need help following Jesus. Our podcast is all about humility. And finding direction and purpose. Especially when life gets hard or things don't turn out like we thought they would. Welcome to Following Jesus for Jerks. hey Hello. <laughs> I don't... It's funny watching us laugh and act the way that we do in front of, of somebody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Why do we have somebody? We do have somebody. All right. We'll get to him. Yeah. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Mm, Actually, well. very well. You? Do you know, there's a part of me whenever, whenever. Which part? Someone says, uh, it's like they ask how I'm doing. I say I'm doing good, and then they and then I ask how they're doing, and they go, "I'm doing well." I'm like, "You jerk! You're just trying to show me up." <laughs> well, I know it's correct. I is good. <laughs> <laughs> how are well, you? Good. Work's been busy. Work's been really busy. Yeah, but good. Just yeah, that's good. Busy. You're an important person. I am. I'm Climbing the corporate ladder. Mm, that's me. I think I, <laughs> think I tripped on a rung. <laughs> I chipped my tooth. <laughs> Should we just get to it today? Yeah, let's just get to let's it. Let's get to it. Let's this, get right to it. Right Kylie, to would it. you do the honors? This is going to be... I mean, I love our interviews. We've talked about that, but this is this is going to be... I love most of our interviews. We are going to fill this, this gentleman... This beautiful, wonderful man. That's a that is a great beard. Yes, you know he has added nothing to the top of the head. Nothing to the top to this room. Looks like a fresh shave, actually. It's it's great when people that know us mm-hmm. and know our community. They're like they're guessing right now, and I like that. You think so? Oh, what what's more trivia? What's what's that? more trivia that we can give about our guest? More trivia. Hmm. Hmm. Well, he just talked about, you know, he's been clean and sober for over a decade. Yes, yes. He is one of the... What? <laughs> this is our true crime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> one of a series coming to you short soon. In the criminal justice system, only one man... <laughs> I think I think I think most people maybe have figured out. Although we have a lot a lot of friends that have. Also, have, let's be honest. It's going to be in the episode title. It is. So, so they, I don't they think are. this is going to be as big a secret as we think. <laughs> Very oh, true. Oh, he's on. <laughs> well, why don't we introduce him? An absolutely fantastic friend of ours who is trying to hold it together uh, in the seat next to us, Rob Parker. Welcome to Following Jesus for Jerks, and thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks on this early morning after. Uh, what you described a night where you were uh, full of puke and urine. <laughs> what a great intro. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sober. Right? <laughs> Puking urine comes from the babies now. That's it. Yeah, that's what it was. Sorry. I should have clarified. Not the adult. <laughs> Rob, I'm trying to think. We we met, what, three, four years ago, maybe? Yeah. All uh, right. And man, we've got, we've got connections and story that we didn't even know we had, but uh, the the relationship and friendship that has continued to develop and through ministry and just relationship and walking life together. Uh, when we first st- sat down and had lunch and you shared your testimony, I was just like, "Holy cow, this is this is incredible." Um, 
an incredible story, but an incredible testimony of what God's done in your life. And so, you know, I don't, I, I know that we're probably going to have a couple episodes here with you, but if, you know, uh, welcome and tell us about Rob Parker. Man. Start inter- to finish. He's or an interesting guy. He is an interesting guy. <laughs> maybe not as interesting as you guys. And maybe like. we should clarify the the earlier, like you just had a child. We did at. You're not. I'm. You're not Abraham and Sarah, but like. I'm Forty two, man. What? Not well, a spring I, chicken. I, you're I, not a spring chicken. <laughs> I don't know how to say that nicely. Spring enough to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> we we weren't praying oh, like I mean, this is kid. we weren't praying like oh God fill her womb. Like, <laughs> like, just, I'm just saying that wasn't what was happening. Uh, no, but I mean, it, <laughs> we did have a baby. Yes, <laughs> congratulations, congratulations. Yeah, so tell us, uh, tell us about you. Yeah, tell us about me. Um, yeah, so I'm Rob. Hey, hi everybody. Uh, it's been, it is. It is a. Uh, I'm really feel blessed to be here, um, not only to share my story, but to be able to s- sit and listen to you two entertain yourselves. Oh, been. that's all we do. <laughs> uh, that's all we do. Some weeks. <laughs> Keep talking, uh, Rob. Keep really talking. The day out, great. <laughs> Coffee? No thanks. I'll just take some Chris and Kyle instead. <laughs> Uh, we also have donuts. Yeah, it's, it's better than puking urine. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, I, I would say, is that real? That's scary. There's thunder and lightning. That is there. real. <laughs> that was a big boom. I think, not, I think we might have sound, said something wrong. It's not the soundboard. <laughs> Welcome, Rob. Yeah, I would say uh, my mom would have grown up in a pretty traditional uh, Christian home. Grandpa was a farmer. Grandma was a farm wife. My dad, on the other hand, grew up with a bunch of dysfunction and alcoholism and addiction and all that stuff. Somewhere along the way, my mom felt a call to nursing, and she went to an internship, and that's where she met my dad. So she kind of left the farm for the first time. And Mm. Man, my dad was just a real... he was a charismatic guy. Everybody liked him. He was funny. Um, so it was really easy, I think, for people to, to kind of, for him to sell people on him. Um, my mom, I think, just fell in love and didn't find out until later about all the stuff that was mm. going on. So they essentially eloped, my, my mom and dad, to the, to the dismay of my, my grandparents <laughs> at the time. I'm, I can only imagine. Um, but yeah, they got married and not long after, I mean, I, I came along and... Then my sister came after me, and my earliest memories really were just abuse and um, just, like I said, dysfunction and trauma and seeing my mom abused, being abused myself, um, my dad and his addiction, anger problems, and, you know, all this stuff. It had been this generational cycle for him, for my my dad, his dad before him, his dad before him. so my, that wasn't my mom's story. Like she wasn't used to that kind of that kind of situation. But you know, there we were, and that's where we lived, and that's where we stayed for a long time. And it was really difficult as a kid knowing. Like we would go to church. Um, I would watch my dad, you know, joke and laugh and drink mm. coffee and slap each other on the back. But then go home, and we lived the life that we lived. So as far back as I can remember, like Christianity was confusing mm. um the idea of like a, a father god was even further complicated for me i mean i remember as far back as i can think this idea of like how how am i supposed to buy into 
there's this heavenly father that I can't see that loves me, but my earthly father doesn't seem to care for me at all. Mm. And then to, to kind of further complicate it, you know, you go to church and you go to Sunday school, you hear stories about this, this Christ, this God who loves you. Um, and then I, I kind of developed this theology though of like, okay, if, if God was real, like, where is everybody? Like why nobody's there to help me. And you know, it was the eighties and you know, I would say we've came a long way in the accountability that we hold for how we raise children. But back in the eighties, I always kind of look back. I feel like there is this mentality of like your kids, your business, like you just don't get involved mm-hmm. in everybody's stuff. But that was a hard message for like, I kind of felt like somebody should have been coming to my rescue at that point in time in my life. And they didn't. And, uh, you know, I was the kid with fresh injuries and bruises and, you know, you get, you get compelled to tell different stories and, you know, you go to visit the grandparents and, Oh, what happened? Well, I fell, you know, I was that, that mm. kid that fell a lot and, uh, it was just lonely and it's kind of hard for people to imagine. I think that know me now, I was really, I was, I would say I was pretty quiet and withdrawn and just, I just tried to stay underneath my dad's radar, I guess, just tried to stay underneath of it all. And that's how it was. But you know what I did have is I had a set of great aunts where they were absolutely amazing. You know, they were probably in their sixties when I was born. So they were, they, they were old my whole life, mm. um, but they were there. They, were, right. they showed yeah. up, you know, they leaned in. It was the same thing with my grandparents. My grandpa worked hard. He was a farmer, um, but they were present. Like he, they gave me a good like image of like what marriage should look like, how we treat one another, uh, how to work hard. Like, so I did get some, some of those lessons I, I got to see, but I think Melder and Violet, my aunts, my great aunts, these were my grandpa's sisters did such a great job. I think modeling for me, like what love really looks like, like they would come, we were living in like kind of poverty and they would come stay the night at our house. And like we had cockroaches and everything. Like they would come just bring their overnight bags and stay the night with us. And I remember they thinking like they knew what was some of what was going on and they just, it was kind of like they felt powerless. Um, but they did feel like if we just show up, keep pouring in it would keep just being there and that's what happened i built like probably the closest relationship i had ever had with anybody up until i got married with with my great aunts who were generational gap was pretty wide you know <laughs> sure but uh like love was obvious wow. acceptance and you know the hospitality was something that they were just everybody that knew that knew about hospitality they had an open door policy they were they came from a family of like 12 different kids bunches of nieces and nephews they were never married never had any biological children of their own but they had this open door where i mean people didn't even knock you just come in have a seat (laughs) hang out you know have a have something to drink have a snack and i was trying to feed everybody it was just this idea of community that i seen early on it's like something was different. I, mm. I could tell something was different out there. But, you know, I went about my way and my, my life begun. And eventually um, my parents got divorced. My sister ended up with my mom. And I ended up with my dad for a season. And, you know, it was pretty rough, you know, being with my dad and kind of being the only one there then at that point. So I got a lot of the brunt of that. Oh, wow. Um, but my mom fought for me and. Uh, her and my aunt, my aunt Marlene moved in with her to kind of take care of the helper with the kids. And they got me then. So then it was us. And my dad just started to phase in and out at that point. Uh, he'd come around, maybe he'd get, we'd get weekends and we'd see him. And then he'd disappear for a while and we wouldn't see him for months or, or maybe even a year or two. And a lot of it just depended on who he was dating at the mm, time. Wow. And if those people respected that he took care of his kids, he would come get us and spend time with us. And if they didn't, he, we wouldn't see him for a while. 
Wow. Um, and that was that was tough. And I think I was the kid who was, you know, waiting on the front porch, you know, with my bag for dad and somebody just never showed up. And, uh, you know, that was, that was pretty tough living like that, just never really knowing if he was going to be around or not. Um, and then eventually he just kind of completely disappeared, just fell off the face of the earth. And uh, that's about when I started uh, kind of getting in trouble. Trauma started to have some impact on, like, my behavior and the relationships that I was building. And just my sense of, like, loneliness and disconnection, like, I just didn't fit anywhere. I would say we lived in a, in a fairly, like, uh, middle class. Like, marriages were decent. Like, back then, like, there weren't a lot of kids getting in trouble like that, not to that level. Um, and I just felt alone. I just didn't feel like I fit anywhere. We would go to church. And I just, I just didn't feel like I fit there, and I, I was just looking for my place, I guess. Mm. And my mom got remarried, and my aunt moved out, and like there's a lot of transition, and so it was, it was then me and my sister and my mom and my stepdad for years and years and years. My dad was not really around. I was just started getting in trouble and drinking and fighting and this and that and the other, getting kicked out of school. And eventually there hit a point um, to where my mom was, like, trying to figure out what to do with me, you know. So I was started bouncing around to different placements, and then I went to Indiana Boys School and got a GED when I was 15, which I don't even think you can do anymore, which seems wise because I was 15, I got my GED, and then got out and didn't have to go back to school. So here I am, not even oh, 16 wow. years old yet. Mm, yeah. I have no... Huh educational obligation at this point <laughs> so i start hanging sounds out sounds amazing with, <laughs> yeah, it does right that's what i thought I was right, like, this sounds right. great so almost, i start hanging out with my other friends that aren't in school which are mostly like 20 somethings that are already selling drugs and running the street so that's what i did you know i um i started just doing the stuff that everybody else was doing and, and part of it was just paying the bills you know trying to make a little money and uh, i got busted fairly quickly uh, I I was my ambition far exceeded my skill. That is for sure. Uh, I still remember coming home that day. I was living with a friend. They they actually left me a note on the front door. I don't. I'm not sure if they do this anymore. They left me a note on official letterhead and had the sheriff's star on. So, you have a warrant for, if you could just turn yourself in. That'd be super great. Oh, they were gonna fall for this. And I was like, what kind of trick is this? Yeah. <laughs> so you know me. I just. Pack my bag and marched right on down to the jail. <laughs> what? It worked? Hi, my name's Rob. I'm here. Oh, did I say to the jail? What I meant was, <laughs> I went. I took a vacation. <laughs> went on the lamb, as they say. So that's that was my first time on the run, and uh, I was trying to figure it all out. I realized very quickly that being on the run is not for me. Mm. I'm not like incognito is not my style. So I, it's just not like I'm. I just want to be you like just obvious. Like I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray! I have arrived. You know, it was kind of like that. Uh, you can't do that when you're on the run. <laughs> um, so I ended up uh, in jail. I spent a year in jail when I was 17 years old. So I spent my first year in, and it was in a county jail that had no rec, uh, no educational opportunities, no windows. Um, uh -huh. But they did leave your cell doors open overnight, and you could smoke and play cards. I mean, for what it's worth. <laughs> so I spent a year smoking cigarettes, playing cards, and it was really great for me. <laughs> And uh, I jumped right back in when I got out. And the truth is, I look back in hindsight, and I was obviously hard-hearted. Like, mm. my heart had just become so callous and hard. Wow. Along the way, I just stopped caring. Um, I always tell people now, I'm like, man, I, I would far prefer 
to feel too much than to feel too little. Um, it was just, well, as I look back on that period, it almost felt like dead. Like you just didn't feel anything. Mm. I and mean, that's where I went. Uh, the only place that really changed much was my aunt's house. And I'd go out there. I just, I was reminded that there was life. There's hope. Oh, you know, wow. They were always telling me, you know, Hey, God's got a plan and all those things. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> Do you have any pie? <laughs> um, so, and that's that's kind of the way it went for a long time. It was just using and selling and running the streets and fighting, chasing girls, and the whole, I mean, you fill in the blanks, and it was yeah. all that stuff, yeah. you know. And uh, my dad wasn't around anymore. Um, me and my stepdad had a rough relationship, mostly because of me. I, When he showed up, I was just at that point where dad was making his exit, and I, yeah. I didn't want a dad. I was like, I wanted my yeah. dad. And I felt that rejection. So then that I then took that rejection board on somebody else. Did, did as you say things like that, is that something that you knew at that time, or is that something that you've learned looking back and reflecting and healing? I was like a social service prodigy. Like I really? learned all the no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know. Uh, it's all what I've learned since gotcha. then. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No gotcha. self diagnosis was happening. Man. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> there was self medication. Uh, no self diagnosis. Um and that is just the way that life was, just broken and hard and just feeling like there's a there was a mentality that crept into me there's a lot of shame kind of used to like weaponized against me at a really young age. I lived amongst a conservative circle in a small place and smaller schools where like the problems that I had and our family had were maybe not as common as what they are today and definitely not common there. Sure. So I think a lot of it was people didn't know what to do with it. But the truth is that some people it was just, it was messy and they didn't like messy. Like, yeah. Um, so that was, that was a hard period of, of just feeling like, like, who are my people? Like, where's my support coming from? I mean, it can't just be these two old ladies, right? Like, but that is what kind of what it was. And, uh, so even in school, even in school, there was this, um, I don't know, setting decks out in the hallway and mm, like just make yeah. separating you from other yeah. people. And like, I remember having a teacher in third grade tell me like, you're never going to graduate. Like just that kind of, from a young age, it felt like people were really willing to just write me off. Like, Hey, it seems like this kid's having problems. He's not going to amount to months. Let's just cast him aside. And that's kind of, in hindsight, that's what I kind of felt like was happening. Wow. Was. So I just, I carried that through for a long time and ended up in all kinds of lockup situations. Ended up in the county jail and ended up in, doing all this stuff I got out and was as ba about as bad as I'd been up that, till that point and ended up in prison. If you would have asked me at 16 where we'd be in 10 years, I would probably would have told you dead or in prison, which is a sad commentary, uh, but I was right. So, <laughs> take it for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I seem very smart. <laughs> uh, wow. Wait, I should maybe tell the rest of the story first. You decide if I'm smart <laughs> or not. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you the information that you can choose. You can decide. Um, but, you know, I, I, it was all of that back and forth for a really long time. I remember getting out of prison the first time. I didn't really do anything with my time there. Uh, I did pretty much the same stuff I was doing when I was out, looking for ways to make money and sell drugs and get into fights. And it was just, it was more chaos. It's like micro community there, really. Mm. Um, so I got out and it was kind of the road to the same kind of stuff, like not working, uh, partying, hanging out, just not really dealing with the hardness of my own heart. And uh, that's where we were at for for months. And 
and I met a girl. I met a girl, and I remember that was the first time in a long time. I was like, man, maybe, you know, maybe there's hope for something different. Wow. It was one of those situations where I'm a hot mess. Like, I'm a dumpster fire at this point. I mean, I had, like, I had true crime written all over me. <laughs> like, you just knew this guy was about to be on the front page of the paper somewhere, you know? And that's, I mean, that really was, it was that idea of, like, why is she spending her time with me? I mean, she obviously could, mm. she could trade up somewhere. <laughs> but she hung around, and so that's, we were like, hey, you know what? Let's just start all over, right? Let's sell everything, and let's get out of here. So we're going to get on a Greyhound bus. We're going to move to Florida. Long story short, I'll spare you the details and just tell you the Greyhound bus pulls into Fort Wayne, driven by an undercover police officer who had found out that we were running. So at this point, I'm like a, I mean, I am getting ready to stand. I'm getting ready to face five new felonies. I already had five. So I was kind of a seasoned criminal at this point. And yeah, the bus driver ended up cops everywhere and I got busted and, you know, fast forward a little bit. We breakups my girlfriend and i broke up and i went back to prison here it was back to the penitentiary you know back to see my friends and uh, it hadn't been very long i hadn't even been out i don't think a year and um it was really discouraging though to be like man i had a at this point i was on a fresh 12 so i had 12 years ahead of me and i remember thinking like well that's it I still remember getting here in that gavel fault 12 years and thinking like, that is it. That's it, it for me. I, I, after four years, I was, I went from hard hearted. to like, I would say like, I was just actively, I was an arsonist. I was just setting my own life on fire wow. at, at every turn. Wow. Um, but like I said, all that shame and all that from a young age is hearing like, you're not going to mount to nothing. You're not going to be nothing. You're just like your dad, that kind of rhetoric, like over and over, you start to believe that stuff and you start believing like, if I can't, well, if I can't be, good which that's what i believed at that point i can't be there's nothing good in me i'll just be as bad as i can be so that's what i did but man when i met that girl when i met her then when i got arrested and went back to prison i remember thinking like this is what always happens like it's it that's why i've always got one foot out the door that's what i'm telling myself because it's never going to work out you know forget the sure. fact that i was selling drugs and yeah. running the streets yeah. i had no responsibility it was yeah. all just fake yeah. like, <laughs> it's always happens yeah, i don't know what was going on um but so it was back to prison and we split up and you know, my aunts were still there. They'd bring my daughter to come see me. I had a daughter at this point. They'd come up every couple of weeks and visit. And after a little while, I was just really bored with the whole thing man. just over it. And I didn't want to change anything. I was just, nothing was exciting to me anymore. Selling drugs wasn't exciting. Getting a fight. None of it was like, I was just over it. Somebody was like, why don't you go to college? And I remember thinking, man, I barely squeaked out a GED, you know? <laughs> and I always had been told, like, you're dumb. I wasn't smart. I just figured I just wasn't book smart. But I did, you know, I started college, and I applied myself, and I did well. I mean, I, I graduated with honors from Purdue. I simultaneously did a degree from IU correspondence. So I ended up with two associates and a bachelor's in a matter of years got a bunch of time cuts and got out i'm like i got 10 now i got you know i got three college degrees 10 felonies and i thought hey maybe they'll at least like just cancel each other out <laughs> you know but no such luck man i got out and it was really hard to find a job it was really hard to even start over like people don't want to give you a second chance especially when it's like your 10th chance mm -hmm. um and yeah, I kind of was a career criminal by then. Like people would just kind of rear him off. Like even my aunts, people were telling them like, why are you going up there to see him? Like, it's a wash, you know, it's, it's curtains. Um, but they never believed that. They never believed that mm. it was just, oh, like there, there was hope still. And I ran into that girl again. Um, 
we started seeing each other. We moved in together right away. She had a couple of kids. I had my my daughter, and we were trying to do this, make it go this blended thing. And I remember thinking, like, we had a lot of history. Like, this wasn't just dating. We, we were, like, you know, longevity here is what yeah. we're looking for. That's the yeah. reason we got back together. So, like, where do we start? Well, okay, well, it's, you know, it's church. You know, that's what grownups do. Like, they send their kids to church. So, I'm like, hey, let's start sending our kids to church. I called my great aunts. I was like, hey, can, can you get the kids for church or Sunday school, whatever it is happens on Sunday. And they're like, yeah, sure, we'd love to, love to come get you guys. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just met the kids, like just the kids. <laughs> like I'm trying to farm them out on a Sunday right. you know, so I can sleep in and whatnot. Uh, so that's what happened. They went to church with my aunts and we stayed home and then we got invited to a Bible school program. And I would say like, if I was looking for a moment, God had been doing stuff for years, but like that was the moment where I'm like, okay, it started to change. We go to this Bible school program. My idea was that we're gonna go, we're gonna grab the craft and we're gonna sneak out the back door. But the thing is a bunch of people had that idea. And by the time it was time to get the craft and stink out the door, it was a bottleneck. There were hundreds of people everywhere. And it gave some pastor's wife enough time to see me and be like, ah, it's Rob Parker. So her husband comes over, like, all excited, probably. Like, Man, I can't believe this guy's even in a church, you know. He's, we hit the jackpot over. tonight. But the funny part, he comes over and he's like, hey, hey, I, you know, your mom babysat for me when I was a kid. And wow. in my mind, I'm like, wow, I Literally couldn't care less. I'm trying to get out. The exit sign is behind your head. The only reason I'm talking to you is because I got to go through you to get out of the church. You know? And he hands me a card, and he's like, "Hey, let's let's do let's do breakfast sometimes." Like, first of all, I don't get up early and eat breakfast. Second of all, like I get this plan. Like, you know, buy me breakfast, beat me with the Bible, thanks, but no thanks. Right? I'm, I'm good. That card went up on our refrigerator, and it sat there. Well, I started to develop an addiction again pain pills and started eating because I, I couldn't do a lot of things i'm on parole and probation i'm like hey i'll just pop pills like a genius mm -hmm. so i started doing that i'm up at like five in the morning I'm like, man i'm hungry i seen that guy's card on my fridge i'm like dude i can listen to anything for 45 minutes for a plate of bacon you know let's let's <laughs> let's, let's get it on you know? <laughs> so that's what i did i called him up i'm like hey this is rob parker man you said you'd take me off for breakfast what's up man let's do he's like yeah I'll meet, i can meet you, meet you at richards at 6 a.m like, i remember thinking that's crazy people meeting each other at 6 a.m like out in public what <laughs> now i was still awake i hadn't been asleep yet and i thought that was normal <laughs> so i meet him for breakfast and that began kind of a you know, a relationship of, wow. of him giving me free breakfast and me just, like, tuning him out for 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, but along the way, something happened. And what happened to me was, keep in mind, my my dad, I thought that's just how people were. Yeah. Like, church is just a collection of people who beat their kids and abuse their wives and do drugs and do all these different things. And then they come to church and it looks awesome on Sunday morning. That was That's what I thought it was like. Sure. But then I start getting to know this guy. I'm like, man, he seems... I had become a really good judge of character. I mean, I had, at this point, I had a better part of 10 years in the penitentiary and quite a bit of street life before and in between that. So my my judge of character became really, you're not going to make it very far in prison if you're not a good judge sure, of character. Sure, sure. I'm like, man, this dude seems legit. And if he's the real deal, like, what if the whole, like, Jesus bit is for real? Because, mm. like, a lot of people would be like, well, I'm not that bad, you know, so that's not bad. That's not terrible news. Hey, there's a God that loves me and et cetera, et cetera. For me, terrible news. Like, I know I'm no good. In fact, sometimes I'm intentionally bad. Like, so, like, that probably doesn't isn't going to bode well for me. Like, if that whole thing is for real, what the Bible has to say is true, like, that is not good news for me. Mm. Like, the gospel being good news was not good news for me at that point. Mm. But he did challenge me, like, hey, you should read the Bible. I was like, look, I've read the Bible, man, like, cover to cover multiple times. 
you know why I read the Bible cover to cover, so I can tell people I've read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you don't you don't need to talk to me about it because I've already read. It. Right. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do that, and that's what I did. And somewhere along the way, I just realized that whoever was writing the story had a front row seat on what was going on in my own heart. Wow. And uh, just along the way, like I was just compelled by the by the kindness of Christ, by the truth of the gospel, by the love of God. Um, to, I would not say it was an active change. It was more of an embrace. It was more of a like, okay, I believe that you care about me. Like that, that was the, that was the huge battle in the beginning was like, I don't even believe you. If you're even real, I don't believe you care about me. You probably care about great, good people, but not me. I'm a mess. Mm. I mean, that started a, a long-term transformation. Um, Sierra and I got married. Um, we we started to build a life together and people were stepping into our life like helping us figure out finances and jobs and like just relational stuff like our baggage was so heavy like she was an unsupported teen mom and had all this addiction stuff and now my story was my story and then we came together and didn't have any clue what to do and so that's what people started to walk alongside of us and it was a long arduous process and a lot of different things happen along the way. My biological dad shows back up shortly after our con our conversion. Had been talking to my sister, and he got sick, really rare disease, and we we invited him to come live with us. I hadn't hardly I hadn't seen him. Wow. He came to our wedding. I was the first time I'd seen him in 15 years. Um, he moved in with us, and my dad lived with us for about two and a half years until he died. Um, I watched my dad's conversion. He was gave a public profession of faith, was baptized. I built a really good relationship with my dad. He got to build a relationship with my wife and with his grandkids. Um, yeah, it was just, a, it was such a beautiful picture to me of like restoration. Like I remember sure. one time he had gotten so bad his, his legs would swell up real bad and his feet and you could touch him and see the water. It was so bad. And I'd have to like, I'd have to put stuff on his feet and wrap him up. I remember one day I was lay, sitting on the ground. He was in his recliner, and I was, like, wrapping up his feet. I just had this, not like I was Jesus in that moment, <laughs> but I definitely had, like, yeah, that epiphany yeah. of, like, wow. what it would have been like um, for Jesus to, like, be washing his disciples' feet. Like, here I am, like, wrapping and taking care of the feet of a guy who, like, had caused, like, no shortage of challenges in my life. Sure. But we really had grown in love to a point to where, like, I knew it wasn't me. I knew that was a divine infusion, like, to that relationship. So that's the kind of stuff that was going on. And, you know, both of my aunts are gone now. And both of my grandparents are gone now. And my dad is gone. And my the guy who I call my dad, who was my stepdad, is also yeah. gone. Uh, not even 60 years old. So we've had all this loss. And then we were call feeling called. Uh, just just feeling called into you know making some major investments and some major, major changes. And I feel like that was probably a, a jump off point to like where we're, we're at right now. Of like how do we take all this pain and dysfunction and hurt and heartache yeah. and trauma and and present it to god in such a way it's like god we know that you can do something amazing with this and it's yours and we're going to trust you to do that and that's what we did all right so here we are like looking to to make a deeper investment like we got this new relationship with this god that we've experienced this loving father like so i mean it was really i remember going to church early in the beginning and just feeling like not to be like judgmental, but this idea of like, man, I'm, I'm watching people that have been like quote unquote following Jesus for yeah. 20, 30, yeah. 40, 50 years. And I'm looking around and I'm like, is this it? Mm. Like I look, I'm not saying I was living a good life before that, right. but it was exciting. 
Like, it, I mean, <laughs> it felt like I was doing, I was going, I was doing stuff. Like, I was yeah. a part of the world. Like, you know, maybe not a great part, but I was obvious. I was there. I was, yeah. I was doing something. And I just felt like if our message was that, okay, the God of the universe, creator of everything, whose spirit, like, lives in us, this can't be it. <laughs> this yeah. can't be it at all. And that's where we lived for a while. Like, a little bit of frustration. But the crazy thing is, it, our conversion was a big deal. Um, I always say that in serious as your conversion was a big deal. <laughs> but hey, she was a criminal too. My hey, in case anybody's listening out there, my wife is a convicted felon. So, <laughs> now she doesn't have ten felonies, but still a convicted felon. <laughs> There's only two boxes, yes or no. Okay? Doesn't ask you how many you got. <laughs> uh, but like really when we it was like this, I think people were like, Wow, look what God did, which I'm I'm on board. I yeah, yeah. I agree. Like, yeah. wow, look at that. We like we had a lack of support. We had very little like real knowledge. Like I was a street kid at this yeah. point. Like that's all I knew. Sure. Um, so people would show up and people would engage, but along the way, like the newness of it wears off. And people, what I have experienced is people like things that they can check off boxes. Like okay, I did this and I can move on to the next thing. We weren't like that. <clears throat> we needed like long term support and community. For, like we were starting over. Sure. We essentially took everything. That, this is what we forget sometimes. When people come out of like extreme circumstances or like crazy types of sin or like really they're in deep. We're not just asking. We're not just saying you have to figure out what to do. That's the message. Like, what are you going to do with Jesus? It's not that simple. It's not just what are you going to do. It's like, what are you going to do with your whole life? Mm. Everything that's been familiar to you for years and years and years goes out the window and you've got to trust. And people are always like, you just got to trust that God's got a plan. It's not all about trusting mm. God. It's trusting that people are going to show up, that they're going to wow. deliver that like down the road, you're not going to like the project that is you is going to get old and people are going to move on to something else. And in some ways that is kind of what happened. We looked around one day and we're like, man, we just, we're not getting invited to do things as much and we're not, we would have had to have been a little bit more proactive, and I was still apprehensive about the church in general. So mm. I'm not about to reach up and be like, "Hey, uh, I've noticed you haven't invited us over lately." Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but, so it started feeling a little bit lonely, and I probably was feeling a little bit bitter about it. And um, maybe whether it was verbal or nonverbal, the message was very much like, "God, you let me down." Like I told you, I'd step into this. I remember looking around, being just being frustrated with God, and I. Uh, I regressed at that point to a, in a pretty major way, like to a point I was doing lines of cocaine and got in a fight, punched somebody in the face. Like it was, I still remember sitting on our front porch. We'd owned our very first house at the time. It was my wife and I, uh, we wouldn't have had Willow yet. So it would have just been, um, Dominic, Jasmine and Zerika. So we'd had three kids then she looks at me and she's like, you got to make a decision here. Like you want to follow Christ. You want to do this thing we've been doing like this, and what's funny is I don't really have a lot of, like, gray area in my life. I'm pretty, like, authentic. I've always been pretty, like, one way or the other. But in that place, I became, like, really, I didn't know where I was supposed to be. I didn't know what I was supposed to be mm. doing. really didn't have any direction or guidance. Um, I had some people I feel like I was a little close to, but that I couldn't be honest with. I didn't think they'd understand wow. what, what I was going through. And um, there was just, in that moment, when she was like, you got to make a decision. What I wanted to say was, how dare you? Like, you know what I'm dealing with. How right. dare you say that to me? But it was one of the few times in my life, unfortunately, that God has chose to, like, literally shut my mouth 
There are times I think I'm surprised he doesn't do it more often. <laughs> <laughs> but that was real. That yeah, was a like wow. l- like Daniel in the Lions then, except I was the lion. Mm. Like <laughs> that's what it was like. Couldn't say a word. Like I I knew that it was long enough that like I knew I knew she was right. And uh, I remember praying to God, okay, um, I don't trust you, but I want to. I, I want to learn how to trust you. Mm. Like right now is not going well for us. Um, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to continue to lean into you. And that means even if nobody else shows up, even if nobody else wants us, if nobody else loves us, like I'm going to keep looking to you to, to fill our needs. And that's what we started to do. That's where it started to change. And I felt like I had some clear ministry, like my wife and my kids. Mm. And there were, and like, there were people around us, old friends that were starting to come in, like, Hey, we need help. And like, there's things going on. So we felt that sense of like, we should be making an investment, but we want it to be deeper. Like, I did not want to get to a place. I feel like it happens quickly and it's easy. When you start this relationship with Christ, you can get to a point so easily where you f- just forget where you came from. Mm. And I did not want that to happen to me. Like, I was forgiven so much. Yeah. I was so close to the edge. Like, I was like, it's a miracle that I that he was able to get, bring me back. I was like, I'm not going to get comfortable with that. Like, I'm just going to, you know, assimilate. I'm not yeah. going to assimilate. <laughs> yeah. So we start praying out over what to do. And at one point in time... Um, you know, my aunts took me to the Gateway Woods auction when I was just a kid. Uh, Gateway Woods is a residential facility for troubled kids um, just on northeast Allen County. And, you know, we would go to the auction, which the auction is a really big deal. It's the first Saturday of, of August every single summer. Um, and I remember thinking, like, maybe this is it. Like, working with teens, troubled kids. Like, that feels like, man, I understand those kids. I feel yeah. like I am those kids. <laughs> um, so we start going yeah. through the process of maybe becoming house parents. Uh, so living with kids in the houses. And then that's when my dad got sick and moved in with us. And then we were like, well, this isn't going to work. And then my dad died. And then we started the process again. And then my Aunt Meldred got sick with cancer. And we were like, well, the timing's not right again. And then a while down the road, we heard about this new initiative they're starting called the LARC Initiative, which is linking to attain responsibility in community. And the idea was connecting with kids and then helping them to build like organic community, like making sure they have support outside of the system, outside of social service, outside of like that kind of stuff. Um, so I applied and long story short, I got the job and I always tell people when I stepped on the Gateway Woods campus for the first time as an employee was one of the top five best feelings in my life. It's up there with like getting married and having kids. Like for so long, people would ask me like, what are you doing? And I just felt like God was moving us closer and closer to the cliff. He's going to ask us to jump, but I had no idea what that looked like. When we got to Gateway, it was like, okay, this is what we were supposed to be doing. This is what he was getting us ready for. Um, And I stepped into like working with some kids who a lot of them just had felt a lot like I felt at that age, abandoned, stepped over, marginalized, forgotten about, like they're not going to mouth nothing and nobody cares. Um, And that's the mess. When I heard, I remember thinking like, man, it's like I'm 13 again. Like I just feel it so deep. So I hit the ground running. It was all about like, let's build community with and for these, these young people. So figuring out who are providing jobs in the community, who are mentors, who are the church communities are like, where are these kids and how do we meet them over that? Where are y'all at? So that's what we started doing, circling those wagons and watching the sense of community grow. We came out here, we, you know, like I said, we had a, we've had a lot of loss. We've been out here for seven years. Uh, we've been back. So Fort Wayne is my hometown. Uh, we've been back here in Fort Wayne for seven years. It can get discouraging, but I'm telling you, it has been absolutely amazing to watch, like, 
people that had didn't have community get kind of swept up wow. into like organic, meaningful community with each other. So that's the work that kind of Sierra and I have been involved in out here. Um, a lot of, we say aged out youth, but really it's just unsupported people. Like who are the people that just don't feel like they belong? They don't feel like, who are the people that think they're outcasts or, or whatever? Like where are they at? Um, and we have always felt like those are the people that gravitate in and out of our lives constantly. Cause I feel like that to us, we are those people. Yeah. Um, we just so happen to have kind of traveled onto this like quote unquote other side. Um, and I obviously, I mean, I still gravitate more towards like what's happening in like poverty class and what's happening in the streets and what's happening with crime and what's happening with addiction. And, and my heart is still very, very much there. There's never been a sense of like, Oh, now I'm over here and I'm better. Like I, I don't, I even now don't feel like I'm better than anybody. I feel like I've been extended this huge amount of grace wow. that I didn't deserve. Um, so my, like my goal really is just to continue to extend that same amount of grace to others, to love people well, not to stop and try to figure out who we think is worthy or unworthy of it, but just to love people right mm. where they are. Bob Goff says, who are the people that are in the blast radius of your love? Like that's kind of the idea. Mm. Who are the people that God's put in for us being out at Gateway, you know, being in with Lark, we're like those are the kids now that are like in the blast radius of our love. There's there's dozens of kids just like that all over that are just they have needs, and a lot of those needs are just needs of love and relationship. So, man, and and to see how you've how God has moved you into utilizing your lives. I mean, just as you, as you shared before, we even went live today that you had people show up on your porch last night, yeah. you know, that we're in need of just love. We're in need of direction and need of help. And, um, it's, it's really a powerful, powerful story to hear where that came from. Um, how God has used all of the messiness of your life and what you had to walk through to, to get you to engage in love to people that, that are in need. So thank you for sharing your story. I know we're going to come back for episode two next yeah, week yeah, and, sure. and continue to have this discussion, ask some more questions and kind of get some, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll laugh a little bit even. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Take that back. <laughs> Rob, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll see everybody next week. Peace. Peace.